Hello, listeners, and welcome to our latest edition of RLT's podcast. Um, I'm really excited that you're listening, and we love producing these podcasts to give you some insight into the work that we're doing on stage here. My name is Patrick Torres, and I'm happy to be your host for the podcast. Uh, today's episode is all about our upcoming production of Measure for Measure by William Shakespeare. Um, this is one of my favorite Shakespearean plays. I love the language, I love the characters, and um, it is also, unfortunately, exceedingly relevant right now. Um, I'm really excited about Rebecca Bloom, who is directing the play, and the wonderful cast that she's assembled. Um, it is is going to be a really incredible production, and I hope that you will join us when it opens on January 11th. Another thing I wanted to tell you about before we dive into the episode is that we're going to do a really great panel discussion on January January 13th after the 3 p.m. performance of Measure Um, and I'll be facilitating that panel and I'll be talking with Rebecca who again is the director of the piece and also Catherine Lawson who is an attorney at Parker Poe here locally and she started the hashtag me at 14 movement and that was during um, Roy Moore's candidacy in Alabama when he um, said that as an adult male he had a consenting relationship with a 14 year old and um, the hashtag it was just meant to question whether a 14 year old can give consent so um, it's going to be a really fascinating conversation and I do invite you to join us for that and we want to thank Catherine for being willing to come and talk with us about it um, so on this episode of the podcast you're going to hear a lot about Rebecca's vision for the show and you'll also hear from our dramaturg Sarah Thompson about uh, kind of the history of this show and kind of what Shakespeare was up to in writing the piece. So there's a lot of content to dig into, so we'll get right to it, and I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. (laughs) Hi, everybody. I'm here with uh, Rebecca Bloom and Sarah Thompson, who uh, are part of the creative team for Measure for Measure. Rebecca's directing the show, and Sarah is our dramaturg. You might remember Sarah was our dramaturg for The Revolutionists as well. So um, thank you both for being here. Excited to talk to you. Uh, Let's start uh, with you, Rebecca. Um, Something that I think people might be interested in kind of knowing is, you know, I um, when I'm doing season planning, I'm always trying to think of, I think because my background in theater is really, uh, uh, you know, I, I spent so much time working in juvenile detention systems and really being excited and learning a lot about theater of the oppressed when I was in grad school that I just can't separate like theater from being social. (laughs) So um, as I'm planning seasons, I'm always thinking about what is relevant, what are the stories that uh, could be impactful to the community? Because I I believe classics and modern plays all can speak to who we are as people. And so, you know, um, as we were planning this season, the Me Too movement was really becoming part of our cultural narrative, you know, something that was kind of uh, that we were all becoming really um, aware of and we were following and you know you know this hashtag uh, was just gaining popularity and so I thought you know we had been thinking about doing Othello uh, in this spot and I said no I think we should do measure I think we should do measure because why are these themes continuing to happen this many years later and so um, you know I approached you with the idea and uh, uh, you had a reaction to that, so I'm wondering if you want to talk, uh, kind of our podcast listeners, through the just the process of what happened for me asking you to direct this play through that lens, and kind of how you got to to where now you're in rehearsal. <laughs> uh, well, it's true. Um, <laughs> when you first approached me with this idea, I my internal 
Um, <laughs> my internal response was run away. Um, I played Isabella in a Bear Theater production of this play back in 2015, and that is a really hard journey to go on. So I uh, I remember I asked you, I was like, get, get, give me a few days, okay? <laughs> let, me, let me chew on this a little bit, because my, my immediate response was, I don't want to go on that journey again. It's too hard. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I, rightfully so, I think I did not say no immediately. Um, and I did think about it. And the, the fact that I knew that you wanted to do this through the lens of the Me Too movement um, made me sit back and think, what, what does that mean to me in terms of this play? And so the thing that I do is I like to mess with things <laughs> and ask questions that perhaps have not been asked before or um, just kind of look at things in a new way because um, anybody can direct a production of Measure for Measure and that's fine, um, but I, I kind of needed to do something different with it. And what I needed to do was sit and really think about how does the Me Too movement resonate for me, aside from the obvious, which is I'm a woman, and in this play there's an indecent proposal made, um, which makes it very relevant. Um, but what I came up with was that it, the, the movement and therefore the questions that I wanted to ask with this play involved my daughters and how I would like the world to be different for them. And this Shakespeare play, which is 400 plus years old, was talking about these things in a way that we're still kind of talking about them. And that with the Me Too movement now, everything's coming up, you know, all those dust bunnies coming out from under the cabinets, under the rugs and everything. And it just feels like, I, could, I felt like I could ask some interesting questions and bring in the kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. Um, so uh, when you were thinking about like your daughters and, and kind of the world that they're living in right now and, then, and dealing with the text uh, um, before you said yes, what was it about thinking about it from their point of view that was inspiring you, that, like, that developed this concept for you of of kind of seeing teenagers in the play? Well, um, I guess in the fall of 2016, um, I started having to have conversations with my then uh, sixth grader <laughs> about things that I thought would come up maybe in high school. <laughs> and um, it was just from you know, the media. She was getting this stuff from media, from her peers, and, and everything was being talked about at that point um, in a way that I wasn't quite ready for. And and I felt like, well, you know, our, our philosophy has always been best to get this information from, from me and her dad. Um, so we might as well go ahead and have these conversations, you know. Um, interestingly enough, she was running for student council in the fall of that year and um, her platform she made posters this was super important to her 
she made posters her platform was like uh, bullying anti-bullying um, more trips to the library and she really wanted the sixth graders to have a dance she no longer wants to dance but she, she sure. wanted to at that point <laughs> and um, so this was her platform right and then a boy who was running against her <clears throat> with um, no real platform to speak of, came up to her and a group of uh, friends at lunch and said, if any of you votes for her, you're gonna get raped. And the girls at that table had no idea how to deal with that. I'm not 100% sure that this boy knew exactly what he was suggesting, um, but this was, as you could guess, really alarming to us and just sort of catapulted us down this road of talking about things and realizing other kids need to be, you know, you just, we, we just as a society, we've got to start talking about things and words and how words matter and how words affect and take that even further to actions and, and everything. You know, we've just got to start holding everybody accountable. And so... You know, it just led to a, a bunch of conversations. And I think since then, you know, we've been a lot more open with all of the girls and the other two are younger than, than my then sixth grader um, and talking about consent. And I grew up in the 70s and 80s when we just didn't, you know, we didn't talk about stuff like that. And so now trying to break those habits of, oh, come on, honey, give Aunt Marge a hug before we go without checking in to say, are you okay hugging someone that you might only see once a year um, instead of worrying about, I don't want to hurt Aunt Marge's feelings. Instead being, I want to, I want to protect my kid and, and have her know that she's in control of her body. So it's, it's, a, it's like stuff that I think always made sense to women on some level but we're so hardwired and trained to not think about it. So now I'm, you know, I'm having to think about these things in a way that I didn't. I'm, I'm really not sure that I answered your question. No, no, that's great. Um, <laughs> but I think all of that stuff went into the thought that I was giving this show. Um, after the production of Macbeth that I directed in uh, 2015, <laughs> I think um, people have teased me about adding kids to every Shakespeare show <laughs> that I do. And, um, and I joked and called it, you know, the focus on the family Shakespeare. <laughs> I mean, but, then, but then somebody else came up and said, but isn't a lot of Shakespeare is about families already? You're just taking it one step further so I thought well okay that's very validating and I was really <laughs> grateful for that so so this this family that I'm creating in measure for measure is a little bit different though because um it's funny when I when um, my husband Seth and I were doing the production in 2015 we didn't talk to the girls about it we just said we're doing this play it's kind of a grown-up play mm -hmm. we'll tell you about it someday mm -hmm. um <laughs> But this time I really thought about the experiences of my now 13-year-old daughter and thought, I can incorporate kids in and show that the things we're taught are normal and okay and the way things work really will affect the kids if we don't stand up and say, it's time to change.
Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of well, that is <laughs> what I am uh, trying to show with the kids in this show. That's great. Thank you, thank you. No, it's great. I mean, um, I appreciate that you. I, you know, I think so many times, like uh, uh, young directors, directors, you, you know, like um, in general, just want to say yes to every project without thinking it through, and so just. For me to say something like it has to have this specific lens i appreciate that you took the time to think about it and i also appreciate that um you you are you are as an artist um brave and vulnerable enough to make it personal about something that you care about that that it is about family for you um, i think that comes across in um, in the work which is really exciting to me so i'm going to turn it over to sarah now sarah so you know we're sitting here talking about like this modern look like how for me watching the me too movement grow made me start thinking about this play um it is a it is uh and i and i definitely knew that i that it was not my place to direct the play i really wanted rebecca and um, a woman to to tell this story um, especially if we're looking at it through this lens because i think when we do that it changes the narrative of the play anyway to put the right person in the director's seat. Um, so I, I just couldn't imagine doing it or having a male director. So I'm thrilled that uh, Rebecca's doing it, but but we're looking at it through a very modern lens. Can you talk to us a little bit about the kind of the history of the play, what Shakespeare might've been up to um, and how that fits in today's world or not? <laughs> sure, such, a, such an easy, simple to answer question. Um, you know, the, the, the key with this play was written roughly 1604. That's when we know that it was performed. That's when we have the first record of it being performed. Um, and even at the time, there's some evidence that it was a play that we didn't really know what to do with, you know. Um, it is in, it's, it's interesting that you're like, yeah, we're talking about it from this modern perspective because it is one of Shakespeare's problem plays. And for people listening, I do my... In, you know, my quotation marks of <laughs> incredulity um, at the term problem play because I think that it implies there's something wrong with it. Um, that's a term that was developed for these plays in the 18th and 19th centuries um, for because people were looking at the, and, and it's this play, it's um, Troilus and Cressida, All's Well That Ends Well, The Winter's Tale, some people have included Merchant of Venice. Um, as, a, as a problem play, so, so, so merch, uh, excuse me, Measure for Measure is in good company, um, but it's, it essentially means that it's, technically it means it's just some sort of mashup, right? It doesn't fit the, tradi- the traditional definition of a tragedy, it doesn't fit the traditional definition of a comedy. Um, Patrick and I were talking, a, a scholar named E.K. Chambers in 1906 referred to them as uh, unpleasant place, <laughs> um, which I find very cute and very Victorian. It's, 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 it's unpleasant place. Um, <laughs> so, so that I love. Um, but I think the bottom line is that with these plays, you get to the end and you go, huh, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. Um, and that was not something that, that Shakespeare's audiences would have been used to or comfortable with. And you, you'll find that part of the reason these plays give people so much trouble or have historically given people trouble is because there aren't other plays written at the same period that do a similar thing. You know, you've got people who are not all good and not all bad, which is weirdly what people are, but um, isn't isn't shown very much in drama 
up until interestingly the modern period. Um, there's a great quote from George Bernard Shaw about these quote unquote problem plays um, where he says Shakespeare was ready and willing to start the 20th century if the 17th would just let him. Mm -hmm. Because these plays have like this real modernist feel. You know, you get to the modern period and you start getting plays about anti-heroes and people who aren't all good and aren't all bad. And how do I really feel about this? And that, I think that that's something that we're much more comfortable dealing with today. Um, really up until the 20th century, most of these plays, including Measure for Measure, were not really produced very much. And if they were, they were heavily adapted and vulgarized. Um, and you see some themes in these plays. Uh, there's a comfort with this ambiguity. There is disillusionment with power, which I think we definitely see in Measure for Measure. Um, a play like Troilus, there's disillusionment with war as well, uh, which, which fits in very well with the modern period and, and the effects of the world wars. Um, so I think something interesting about these plays, and one of the reasons that, that it's so cool to do them and that they are so adaptable to a moment like this, is that they really do have this modern flavor. They have, they have a dramatic structure that really we're ready for now, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. In some ways, I think of these problem plays as like the proof that Shakespeare was a flipping genius. Um, <laughs> you know, because it, it does seem like he's so ahead of his time. Thank you. That's fascinating. <laughs> I didn't know any of that. I really appreciate that. I mean, and I'm, I love Shakespeare, and I didn't. I never heard the problem plays talked about that way. And I, um, yeah, I appreciate that so much, just because I, I do feel uh, that. Like even even watching the run through a couple of weeks ago, you know, and in its very early stages, I had a lot of those same feelings. It's like, oh man, it's it's so. Um, ambiguous that it makes me want to talk to people about it when I'm done like and um, I don't know that I, I find it fascinating I find the journey through the play fascinating I, I think it's great that um, there are so many um, moments of, of complication com complicated moments I should say where um, where I don't know how Shakespeare feels about a character or a situation and I don't know how to feel about it and I but it makes me want to talk about it and I I do feel like with modern plays we are way more willing to not have all the answers provided for us right like I feel like we're more willing to wrestle with content mm -hmm. and Shakespeare I feel like because we've made it such an academic exercise we expect that there's an answer mm -hmm. right we expect to be given the ethical the moral the theme like you know that on because I think people have done that to Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet and stuff like that when maybe it is a little bit more ambiguous than we think it is but because we've put them in the school box we feel like there are answers to them so I really appreciate you saying all that how do you think Sarah um, how do you think uh, culture time affects these plays like measure for measure but Shakespeare in general um, and, and do you think that that kind of the fact that they've stood through so many cultural shifts makes them any more brilliant. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I would say they're quite brilliant, wouldn't I? Um, <laughs> I've sort of spent my life studying them. I don't like anyway. Um, 
I mean, and, and honestly, one of the things that I love about them is how different, I'm a, I'm a performance historian, so like I love learning about the different ways that they were produced at different times and um, how people reinvent them for their own moment. Um, you know, there's, there's some argument to be made that Shakespeare was the guy that people chose in the 1700s that they were like, you know, this guy was pretty good. Let's, let's, you know, put him up on this pedestal. I would argue, having read a lot of early modern drama, that mm -hmm. you know, Shakespeare's really kind of better than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do think one of the things that, that makes him so good, makes his works so good, is that adaptability. I think um, any kind of artistic product, the meaning is going to shift with cultural shifts. Um, I'm thinking right now about it's Christmas time, so I'm thinking about the Baby It's Cold Outside song, mm -hmm. how like for decades nobody thought twice about it, and now everybody's going, oh, that song is pretty coercion-y. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's like a perfect example of this like super kind of pop culture, mainstream piece of art that we now are rethinking um, and looking at again. Uh, so I think that that's just natural. I think that that's one of the things that draws me to art in general and Shakespeare in particular is the fact that every individual person is going to bring their own stuff to it. Um, and when we, nobody's going to experience it in any two, in, in the same way, but at the same time we all come into this room and, ha and like share these moments together um, in, in a way that is, you know, incredibly human and incredibly raw and, and, and beautiful. Um, so, yes, <laughs> is, is the answer to your question. Um, I, I really do think that the reason we're still talking about Shakespeare is because we have found that there's so much to be done with him. Um, you know, and you get all through the 19th century, Shakespeare gets turned, you know, the, the melodrama knob gets turned way up on Shakespeare because that's what people were into. Um, in the early 20th century, the, um, wow, the world is a nightmare knob gets turned up because people are coming through World War One and World War II, um, particularly in, in, in England and, and Europe. Um, so, you know, and then in, in the middle of the 20th century, you get this like, crazy kind of abstract avant-garde Peter Brook stuff that starts happening where people go, you know what? It's all whatever. Let's let's tear it down and start playing with it and figure out what this can be and what it is. Um, and I do think that now there's more of an attempt to make Shakespeare, well there's a whole thing about Shakespeare it used to be for the common man and then around the turn of the 20th century it became very much this is for educated people, um, which was part of a, a snob campaign, but whatever. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> there's a great book uh, called Highbrow Lowbrow by Lawrence Levine, who's a great scholar, and it's a fun, easy-to-read book. Um, but anyway, I do think that now, as we have much more popular culture and, and, and culture is more readily available through the internet and television, things like that, I think that we're trying to find ways to now make Shakespeare seem approachable and palatable and pop culture-y. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and one of the ways that we do that is to take it, is to take our current moment and to go, no, no, guys, Shakespeare can talk about this too. We can make him talk about this. But also, he was a collaborator at his time, and that was just the nature of early modern theater. Um, and so the idea that like we're messing with Shakespeare and he would be really upset about that is a little bit silly. Oh, I love you saying that. I love you saying <laughs> that because there's just so many times where like, um, I, 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 like you know, my very first show that I directed here was uh, Much Ado About Nothing. And I, I set that post-World War II, uh, very American kind of play. And, and there were some uh, folks that were like, why? You know, I, I got an email from an a audience member, actually, that was like, uh, I know that you're new here. I should tell you that you did this all wrong. People would, it would be much more accessible if you had used Baroque music and the costumes had been, you know, the pantaloons and stuff. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm fine. Like I appreciate that 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 uh, person was engaged enough to want to respond. But my response was, I really feel like, for me, it's like not Shakespearean mm -hmm. to not think about time and place or whatever. And and Shakespeare was an anachronistic playwright. Like there's so many things in his plays that didn't exist mm -hmm. <laughs> at the time that he was writing them. And and you know uh, you know and I said I said also to this uh, person I was like you know but also. The actors at the time, that was the costumes because they were carrying trunks around with their clothing in it. Not that that was like the thing that it has to be. So um, I am a fan of, of moving it around because I don't, I like Shakespeare. One of the reasons I like what Rebecca does with Shakespeare is I like it to, uh, that we, when we pull it out of the academic world, when we try again to make it meaningful to people, um, and and reflective of the lives that we're leading, it's just more interesting that way. And if I'm already going to come as an audience member, and you know, I think about my family a lot, uh, my mom, um, my dad, people that are coming to see Shakespeare, they're just like, I just don't. The language is so hard, and I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be if we make it personal, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, if we really tell the story, if it's about relationships and story, I think we go way down the road of making it understandable. Is one of the reasons I wanted Rebecca to direct this play because I know that this is a, a tricky one. It's hard. And Rebecca, I'm wondering, just having worked on it now for a few weeks um, with the cast, you have an incredible <laughs> cast too, by the way. Yeah, really good I job casting really the show. Um, <laughs> you know, which is more than half the game anyway, right? But what insights? What have you learned about the play? What insights have you gotten from this cast, um, and particularly like thinking about the story from the lens of like these teens? Um, hmm. You're right. I have a, a pretty amazing cast of human beings for this show. Uh, and they, they are each bringing really cool insight and they are really trusting me and my vision I'm so grateful for that because I think some of the things that I'm trying to accentuate really go against some of these actors like their nature mm -hmm. and they're really having to trust me mm -hmm. and just go so that we're telling the story that I want to tell the kids, the kids in this show are, for the most part, observers. 
of the way the adults are behaving. So that's the purpose of the kids in this show, is they're not jumping into the action, especially not in the, um, the inappropriate sections, but they are definitely aware of what's going on and they are always watching. That is the point that I wanted is, is with the, by having the kids is whether we think they are or not, they're always watching and absorbing and learning and then from that they go on to do and to, to imitate. So the kids are being kind of quiet <laughs> to be honest. I think they are doing exactly that. I think they are watching us, adults, and how we handle this material. I think they're definitely learning from how we're handling it uh, and how we're treating each other through these um, more sensitive moments. <laughs> and I've made myself available. If they have questions, if they get uncomfortable, I have told them they can, they can leave or we can talk about something they're seeing. Um, they haven't really taken me up on that yet. Um, I remember what your question to me was. <laughs> I really do. That's okay. So, this is fascinating. So, so I think my, my answer to that question is the insight that I'm getting from, from the, the cast is the time and the concern. Because I told them in the very first rehearsal, I said, I expect you to come to me and advocate for your character. I expect you to be completely self-centered about your character's story and make me pay attention and make sure that we're telling that and that you feel included in this story. And a lot of them have done that. They've done it through email, they've done it, you know, they pulled me aside like like, uh, like George last night. And um, so we're having all these wonderful deep conversations about the backstory, which, which reads when they get on stage and they interact with people. Um, the kids have less training, the younger kids have less training. So uh, I have to do a little more hand-holding with them but they are jumping in and they are fearless, these kids. And it's so cool. It's a neat combination of kids with, with diverse abilities that I'm able to incorporate into the, the production and the world. And it, it just makes it so realistic, which is great. Um, the play has problems. One of the things that I have found is that the funny stuff is ridiculously funny. And the not funny stuff is like a series of punches in the gut. <laughs> now, I hope that that does not discourage anybody from coming. <laughs> but it's been tricky for me as a director to kind of find that balance between the nights where we're all like crying from laughter and then the next night we're talking about trigger warnings and going to really dark places. It's been really interesting to walk that line with this play. And that might be one of the reasons that I was like, oh, I don't know that I can do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it is strictly, it is problematic. And thank goodness Shakespeare's a collaborator because boy, oh boy. <laughs> it's so funny too. Sometimes if, if we run into a, a trouble spot in a rehearsal, I'm like, okay, how are we going to change this? How are we going to make this work? And some of the cast members, their jaws will hit the ground. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Shakespeare is totally with us right now. <laughs> he always does the same thing. Yeah. Like, how can we make this work? Yeah, yeah. So I don't feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested, Sarah, from your point of view, because I think many people would consider the play a comedy. You know, um, 
just based on loose definitions of what comedy and tragedy are. Um, I'm just kind of interested in your take on that. Do you think it is? And do you think, as we talked about the adaptability of Shakespeare, do you think that there's ever a time where, um, based on who we are, the world we live in, that comedy becomes drama? I'm just kind of interested in your thoughts. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, you know, I would say that this, this play is the perfect example of that. Um, if we look at the definition of a comedy, a comedy moves from chaos to order, um, which is often represented by moving from single people to married people. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, and tragedy moves the other way. You go from order to chaos. Um, and, and if we're looking at that definition, this play is a comedy. It moves from unmarried people to married people. Um, I think that that's a case where that definition of comedy isn't what we think of anymore. Um, and certainly through the lens of feminism and um, things like that. For me, this play is desperately tragic for lots of reasons. <laughs> um, you know, from but but mainly it's because it on the page anyway it's it's the story of women losing agency um mm. particularly isabella i think of her as somebody who the, the at the start of this play her life has order you know she is literally a nun she's literally like searching for this you know very specific perhaps the highest possible order um that unravels for her throughout throughout the course of the play. So that that you know that's obviously a, a my perspective. Um, you know there there was a period when a woman becoming a nun would have been thought of as at least by the outside world as um, oh poor her oh she couldn't find a, or oh her husband died so she's become a nun blah 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 blah. Really, I think that nuns in you know historically have had more freedom and agency. Uh, than most women because they weren't really beholden to men around them. They mm -hmm. were they had chosen a life in which they didn't face the dangers of dying in child childbirth. Um, they weren't at the mercy of some husband or their father or whatever. They got to go and live in like this place with all these other women. You know, I mean, I, I think that there was a lot going for being a nun in the 1600s, maybe. <laughs> so. So that's a perspective that I think is important to, to keep in mind, um, particularly as we look at this now, because I think that we still look at it from the outside, from this idea of like, oh, a nun, that's pretty boring. Um, but I think that for somebody like Isabella, being a nun is an incredibly empowering, freeing choice. And I think that throughout the play, she uses that identity as a way to exert power in this terrible situation. And then at the end of the play, she loses that agency. So to me, this play is a, has become a tragedy. But again, I look at it on paper and I go, yeah, okay, comedy, sure. Um, but I think because of that, it, that's exactly the kind of weird feelings towards the play that, that make you feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, you have things that are like classic comedy tropes in historically in drama like a bed trick and things like that like these are things that are are comic we see them and they're they at least if we're looking at it from a historical literary perspective they are elements of comedy but that once we look at 
Now we go, oh, that's super messed up. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, so I think it's it's a perfect example. This place is a perfect example of that. And I, I think that that's, I hope we're not scaring people off because I think that part of the beauty of theater and of these plays is that they make us think about life and our perspectives in different ways. Well, thank you for that, Sarah. That uh, just so insightful and gives me so many insights into the play. I really appreciate you um, talking about that. Um, Rebecca, um, you have talked before to me about how you really want for this play to be a demonstration, uh, I guess, for the audience on um, ending the cycle. And I'm wondering if you could uh, talk about that a little bit. In, in reflecting on my own life as a parent, I, don't, I, I really don't know that I thought a whole lot about it before I became a parent. But when I became a parent, the things that became super important to me were those things that I could point to in my childhood that hurt me in some way and not doing those, stopping that cycle for my kids. Because a lot of these things, I mean, if you really look at it, and at medium, my, my main medium in art is emotions. So I spend a lot of time, all the time, thinking about why do I feel this way? Why do I behave this way? Why do I react this way? And trying to trace it back to, to where it comes from. I just find that really interesting and helpful. And a lot of these things I could probably trace back as many generations as I'm aware of in my family and be like, oh, okay, well, then probably I was treated this way because this was the pattern that was set up, right? The cycle. And when I looked at this play and thought about it in the way that the Me Too movement resonates with me, it was that this movement presents the opportunity to stop this cycle. A cycle that I, I know my grandmothers, my great-grandmothers, my mom certainly, my sisters, we've all lived through and have not for whatever reason felt powerful enough to stand up and say, no more. And the Me Too movement showed me it's not gonna be immediate, but it's gonna be possible. Mm. And it showed me that there is a difference. A, a, it showed me that there is a possible different path for my daughters. And so what I wanted to show in this 400 plus year old play, where women are not being treated respectfully, was kids watching that behavior and the kids being the ones in the end who say, this stops here. Mm -hmm. I'm breaking that cycle. Mm -hmm. So that's why I said yes to you because I thought if I can get people to think about that, that we have to be careful what we're telling kids is okay that they don't have power over their bodies, that they should hug people to make them feel better, that, that you know, let them know when they're 
being violated verbally or uh, physically, let them understand this is not okay and then speak up about it. Because mm. it's one thing to know that it's not okay, it's another thing to speak up about it too, right? right? Um, if I can figure out how to do that with this play, I'll say yes to Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for taking the project on. Thank you for saying yes. I'm glad you found a way um, to, to make it work and, and be personal to you. I, you know. Um, I'm a fan of your work because it's personal. It always feels that way, whether you're acting or directing. And um, I just think that we're really lucky to have you on this project. I, I'm really, really thrilled. So thank you for taking it on and thank you for all the work you're putting in on it. And uh, yeah, everybody should come see it. Well, thank you so much again for listening. Remember, this show opens January 11th. I hope you're excited to see it. And remember, we have that great panel after the matinee on January 13th. Um, I hope to see you at the theater.